Welcome to another episode of Pattern. It's Neil here. Avesh is out backpacking in God knows where, having a great time. So I hope you guys are enjoying the past couple of episodes. It's been really fun making them. And please reach out to us with any feedback. If there's things we should dive deeper into, things we should kind of omit, you know, anything really, let us know. I'd really appreciate it. So for today's episode, a couple days ago, I interviewed Sacha Kucharsik. He is the chief operating officer at a company called Pretect. And what Pretect does is they try to predict maintenance on automobiles. In particular, they predict it for 18-wheelers, you know, big trucks, and say, hey, your truck looks like it has an issue, you should probably get it checked out. And this just saves the company, you know, tons of money in case of a failure on the road. Now, I always like to ask myself questions on what are the problems that this company has to face that are ML-specific. And Sasha had one that was very ML-specific, and that was data acquisition. Data acquisition being, you know, the kind of lifeblood of a machine learning company and a machine learning product, because at the end of the day, the more data you have, the better your product is, the more customers you have, the more data, and this very positive feedback loop. And, you know, I don't want to dive too far into it, but Sasha, you know, steal the thunder of the interview, but Sasha brought this up in almost a regretful manner where he wished that someone had told him to focus more on data acquisition than on something like revenue, which is kind of counterintuitive when you think of starting a business and your first idea is to just, you know, do growth and get as much revenue as you can. So it was a really insightful piece of the conversation. So let's jump into it and start with how Sasha started this all. problem that resonated with me was, as you mentioned, you have this check engine light. Hey, something's wrong with your vehicle. All you really know if it's of a preventative maintenance schedule, so preventative maintenance being you know, going and check the vehicle every 25,000 miles. Hey, this engine light's going on and there might be this odd sound happening or you, you might have some human feeling or emotion indicating that something is off with the vehicle. So you phone up a shop, you tell them that my check engine light's on and schedule something. But all they really know before, like when you're talking to the service writer, are those things that you tell them, which is rarely enough to do any diagnostics. And so what they end up having to do is bring the vehicle in, plug in a computer into the vehicle, do a physical inspection, sometimes do a road test. And from all that, start coming up with a preliminary diagnostic of what they think is wrong with your vehicle. And then they'll phone you back and say, hey, we think, you know, A, B, and C is wrong. Like, let's order in the parts and actually see if this fixes it. And to us, the thing that jumped out was all these tests that they're doing to collect the data. Why can't they have that data before the vehicle comes to the shop? And so that they can see all the data that they want so that they don't have to do those tests. And when you're on that initial phone call coming in, they could, you know, that's just put out a theoretical situation that they could pull up your vehicle do all, all the tests and checks that they want on the data, get the insights that they would want from your vehicle operating. It's like, oh, I think I know what the issue is. This is what we think it is. We can order the inventory right away. And so that when you bring your vehicle into the shop, they now know how long it's going to take. They have the part there. They can schedule it in. And they can actually, they could 
relatively accurately tell you, you know, if you bring it in the morning, it's going to be done by the noon, the parts going to be replaced, and it'll be yours to take. Or you can have it with you by the end of the day. And the only reason why they can't really do that now is they are lacking the data. They're not trying to give bad customer service. Most of the shops we talked to actually wanted to give better customer service. They were just lacking the data to do so. Got it. You guys are actually a very interesting symbiosis of a, a Internet of Things company and a machine learning company. Because Internet of Things kind of goes on this on this uh, you know mantra of where are we, where could we be collecting data that we're not, and that seems to be like part of the scope that you guys are in, where there is all this potential for data collected, but no one is doing anything. And then enter pretext hardware solution, you put it there and. So there you have it. When you see a data hole in this universe, you go out and fill it. Ooh, phrasing. So the next part of the conversation was around the actual machine learning and the predictions they got using this data. You know, what were the actual patterns they were recognizing? And naively, I would have guessed that they were recognizing or they were predicting something like a probability of failure over the next X days. You know, the truck has a 60% chance of failure in the next week or something like that. But Sasha pointed out that that's actually quite a sophisticated problem and you don't necessarily need that answer, such a granular answer to be useful. And pretext, when you listen to the next part, I want you to pay close attention to how they're just gonna be predicting outliers. So outliers in the sense of has the pattern that I've been looking at, has the data patterns looked like this before? And if not, then flag it your input and what is your output so how would you describe that in terms of your your input feature vector that gets sent from truck to pretect yeah and so every truck uh, i don't say every truck most north american trucks um, operate in something called the j1939 uh, communication standard and so this is um a communi- sae based standard with up to 16,000 different sensor variables per truck. Most trucks you see, we see around 1,000 to 2,000 different like common sensors on these trucks. But what each sensor represents and how to access the sensor is all standardized by the SAE. And so the inputs we get are primarily that data. And it's just a bunch of sensor readings from across the vehicle. So could you, if you had to pick out a few and describe them, I would imagine things like the RPM of one of the axis, or yeah. is it, would that be something something along those lines? Like RPM, yeah. maybe the battery, some some measurements of voltage on the battery. Yeah, fuel level. So you can get different wheel speeds for different wheels on the trough. You can sometimes get ambient ten- temperature, depending on the vehicle, you can get GPS information. So there's a lot of, like, there's a lot of just information that you can pull out of off the truck because they are the rather intelligent vehicles given them if you're looking at intelligence as the amount of data being created on them got it so if you have all of these different dimensions of data you have ambient temperature fuel battery rpm for time steps right every couple seconds or whatever that granularity is what are you actually predicting what's the number at the end so what, what we're predicting at the end is essentially, hey, there's something wrong with this truck and why. And so as it's very similar to if you're looking at a, med- like a medical doctor, looking at all this data and the output at the end is saying, I think this is the problem with, this, with the truck. 
Uh, and so it, it's just coming, and, you know, we contact the fleet saying, hey, you know, truck A13 is having this issue, and it looks rather serious. Got it. So would this issue be like, or could we think about it as like for each of the parts in the truck, this is the probability that it's has an issue? We haven't gotten that far or looked at trying to break down stuff based on different probabilities. Well, most of the models we look at or create are focused on a single issue. There's countless different issues that could be there. And I think one advantage I've noticed about this industry and working into it is being super precise while valuable is only marginally more valuable than, like, you can be inaccurate and still create a lot of value. And the aspect of if you say something, I think something's wrong with the batteries on this truck, right? Mm-hmm. And it's rather significant. You might say you need to change the alternator on the batteries, right? That's what I think is wrong given the data. And you might be wrong. It's not the alternators, but something else wrong with the battery. And, you know, they'll go in and they'll test it. You know, something is wrong with the batteries. The alternator is testing fine, but they know what to look and test stuff now. And they caught the issue before it happened on the road. So the biggest costs have been avoided. You didn't eliminate all the war, but you still eliminated a lot of the costs. Got it. This is a, I love that because it seems to be a common pitfall where people feel like they need to solve the world when really you just need to take the 80% of the problem. And for you guys, 80% of the problem was just saying, hey, there is an issue. Exactly what component it is, is you know, marginally better than just saying that. Yeah. And I think that going back to something I said, sent you in the initial email was that, you know, machine learning is an automation of decisions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for startups, they always talk about uh, customer discovery, understanding your customer. And one of the big things about that is understanding how they make decisions in the workflow around that. that. I think that was a rather date learning in our process of going through. But when you start thinking about what decisions are your customers making and what's this, like, if you can st- just automate one or two of those decisions going through, are you still going to create value to your customer? They m- still might have to make decisions related to your predictions, but you can automate, you know, the decisions that are very costly to make or the decisions that might be difficult for a human to make uh, in such a way that it simplifies their workflow. Got it. So then does this mean that you, you said you, you kind of say, Hey, we have an issue. Does this mean you have models for all the types of issues, the like broad categories of issues out there or how, how does that, how does that work? What are you, what are you training against? What's your, what are you, what are you comparing your prediction against? And, and so part of that is training against experience. And it's part of that is, have we seen this before? Have we not seen it before? And so because we have to create our own data set, we have to create our own labels. And so one of the big things in our models and looking at that is the unknown. Is this something we've seen before? Is this So is this statistically non-expected? So is something wrong with this truck? Is it something that we know? Is it something that we don't know? Right? And if it's something that's wrong and we don't know, that usually points to, hey, get this investigated or just tell the customer, hey, something's wrong, check it out. But tell us what it is at the end so we can create a label and start educating ourselves on it. Ah, right? so then when you tell the customer, hey, there might be something wrong with this, so the customer come back to you and say, you were right? 
this is this we've is had that happen. Um, and so we all the initial customers we work with we pretty much required that to happen. It's like, hey, we'll do this for free, but you have to give tell us what happens with the maintenance because we need to be able to train this to understand what happens and why. Oh, interesting. So it was a it was a very symbiotic relationship. You were for you gave them prediction in turn they gave you the result that you could then train on. Okay, we are starting to hear the glimpses of data acquisition with this positive feedback loop of getting more data from your customers. But before we go down that path, uh, Sasha had another really great insight on how data science has changed or how it's different between more contemporary big data practices versus machine learning practices, which were pretty intriguing. So let's jump to that. So big data solution, this is going to be very MBA lingo or MBA focused as opposed to um, more machine learning. Mm. And so <laughs> what you typically do with big data is you create a data model, you create some logic behind why that model works or represents, and then you apply the data to it to test your hypotheses and see if you get uh, statistically significant results. And then you, you know, you just apply are uh, going for the usage regression base. The problem with that is you're using human judgment on what is useful. And you're using human judgment on this is what the model should be within the data. And as soon as you start doing that, you're limiting the potential of what machine learning can do. And one big example is looking at edge cases. And so if you look at two variables that are correlated together 95% of the time, if you're doing a regression or a big data thing, you're going to get rid of one of those, or you should be getting rid of one of those variables most of the time because little to no useful information and have it extra information by having both those variables there. Uh-huh. Yep, the features are highly correlated. Totally makes sense. Yep. As opposed to machine learning where you, know, you might just throw it all in there in the machine learning, like the out, somewhere in the neural net, it might say, you know, when this pattern is showing in one of these correlated variables, this other va- variable actually has value. And so the edge cases in the 5% of the time where they're not correlated could actually have useful value. And if you're doing this huge, complex mathematical model um, that's really a system of equations that you see in a neural net, it can start making use of those edge cases or predicting those edge cases and getting into them. And that's where I think the difference between the, the problems between big data and machine learning come in is, you know, you have these best practices with big data that limit the effectiveness of machine learning. Likewise, best practices in machine learning, if you apply it to big data, would make it unruly or unmanageable. Interesting. I 100% agree. And I see how this kind of alludes back to our the previous topic of what machines can do on top of humans. They can see these patterns that are just too many numbers, too many computations to even hold in our short-term memory. So this is probably one of my favorite things about machine learning. And that is that as humans, we don't always know what patterns are being learned. Uh, at a high level, we understand in pretext case, the all the you know flowing information on parameters of a car will have some inference towards the health of that car 
But you can imagine that this topic is actually quite contentious, especially in fields like medicine or healthcare, where you know doctors can be skeptical of something where y- you don't know exactly how it works. Uh, but there's also a great analogy here in um, medicine, which are uh, drug pharmaceuticals and particularly clinical trials. So we all we don't always know how drugs work. True fact, we just don't know how they worked, but we trust them because we throw them through a double-blind study, and at the end, we get a statistical significance on whether or not it helps or hurts people with that disease. And in the same way, uh, that same trust can be built with a machine learning algorithm by just looking at the numbers. Anyway, the next part of the conversation focused around a issue that Sasha brought to light, and that was how he reconciles uh, building a SaaS business and, you know, the, the kind of um, tenants there with building an ML business. And it's where the topic of data acquisition really came to light. So let's look at, you know, the typical startup lingo here and like MVP, mm-hmm. uh, minimal viable product. What is your customer's pain point? What is the quickest thing to test that, you know, this is a solution for and, you know, you build on that, are they willing to use it? And so it's very quick iterations trying to get a product in the customer's hand and quickly rotating between does this create create a solution that fits the customer's need? Can uh, can we build it and or build the next step of it? And you're just constantly going back and forth until you hit product market fit, and then you're scaling fast. Like the point is, once you have something that you know the customer is willing to pay for, and that thing is you are going all out. I wouldn't say going all out growth, but you know the typical thought process is growth, growth, growth. Mm-hmm. The problem is when you apply that to machine learning. If you're doing a pure machine learning company, there's some point in the future, once you have enough data and you create good enough algorithms, that it starts having value. And so your minimum viable product of hitting product or whatever you need to get product market fit, you can have minimal viable products before to show customers doing it. But trying to hit product market fit extremely soon with a minimal product and then scaling that isn't always applicable for machine learning. I'd say maybe it's rarely applicable. And I think if you're looking at some, looking at something of saying, okay, you have a minimal uh, product that hit, let's you know scale it extremely quickly and then deal with non-scalable stuff in the future, or deal it as it comes up, might not be the best thought process for growing a machine learning company because you might not actually have something that can be scaled in that way. I think it's interesting. So it's almost a little more binary in terms of utility where you have to reach a certain threshold? Is that is that what you're getting at? Where after- Yeah, it's, it, I'd say if you're doing pure machine learning, and I do want to stress if you're doing pure machine learning here, mm-hmm. you have to have enough accuracy in your algorithms that, that you can replace the human making that decision. And so you have to get enough data to get your algorithms accurate enough to get to that point, which is a very different concept than a SaaS where... You, you know, you're trying to get dollars from day one. Got it. You have to almost have a slightly more complete picture of the solution, whereas SaaS, you can you can get a little less out at first and build upon it, but but there still is that ah makes makes sense. But it seems like you guys actually took the route of at least in, in machine learning, you you got your model out there before it was totally ready. And that goes to that goes back to what I said before is, you know, we went through and 
understood, you know, what does a customer actually want? But I don't know if that was the best decision to make. But w- when we made that decision, we thought it was the best decision. Right. And this, go, like, we weren't, talk- we weren't talking to many machine learning people when we started this company and decided on the growth. We were talking to a lot of SaaS people. And that, you know, that made us think a bit differently towards how we create the company and grow it. Most of the other machine learning companies I've talked to, which are more focused on machine learning, have always been, you know, you know, let's, let's treat this as an expensive science experiment. You know, there's a problem. We have proven that this is a problem that the customer wants. Based on that, let's raise a lot of money on something that, on the assumption that if it make it and it works, the customers will go to it. And so you see companies raise multi-million dollars with seed rounds on the process of let's collect all the data we want really quickly um, and not think about revenue or trying to get revenue with a half-baked product so we can get a real product out there quicker. Um, and this goes on to the other thing with machine learning in, is, at least I've, so, so I've been told and I actually believe that machine learning caters to a monopoly market. And so you want to be the first one out there and the best one because if you can make the most accurate decision at the lowest cost, if you're in something where that actually matters, let's say vehicle safety, people want the safest option, especially if it's safer and cheaper. And so, you know, if you're trying to be the second player into a predictor, like into a machine learning market that plays on vehicle safety, you have to find some way to either be cheaper or safer than the person already on the market. But if they're both already because that's what the data lets them do, well, you're out of, you know, it's an uphill battle. Yeah, it's a, it's a very positive feedback loop where you're first to market, you're the one collecting the data, then you can use that to retrain your model, get even better. It is it is a very cyclic, cyclic model where you will just continue to be yeah. the incumbent. <laughs> and I think, so I'm just circling back a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's why a lot of machine learning, like people used to early stage machine learning companies are saying raise a lot of money early and just don't focus on revenue, focus on data because the data is a long-term what you get from the data is a long-term value. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you're creating a pure machine learning company, well, other people are going to try to get the same solution as you in the future. The easiest way to ward them off is to have a lot more data than them and better algorithms. So you should be raising money to collect the data as opposed to, you know, slowing down your data collection to try to get revenue to grow the Got it. Um, you know, I'm going to come back to something you said just before this, which was you didn't think that your best decision was to um, go to market so quickly with a, I'll, I'll use your words, half-baked ML solution. Uh, just curious, what what do you think another option was? Or why do you think that hurt you? So I think that hurt us because we were always trying to think of how do we get revenue from the customer? How do we make this a marketable product? As opposed to trying to think of how, like, how do we get more data quicker? Um, and uh, Interesting. And I, and I think I I think the biggest reason for that is we were talking to SaaS people, and it you know that is you know how if you look at SaaS investors, that's how they invest and how they look at stuff, what they want to see. So if you are creating a machine learning product with SaaS investors, you're going to start creating it like a SaaS company, uh-huh. and th- like that is why I say that there's a stock difference going into it. Is you know all the advice is good advice, it is correct advice, but it might not be the best for a machine learning company. Um, you might want to go a machine learning company different than a SaaS company. Um, 
But, you know, the thing is that people know SaaS companies. It's what they're familiar with. It's what they, you know, it's what the fad has been in most investors for the last, I'd say, almost decade now. And, you know, machine learning just started. Not many, like, not many investors have a lot of experience growing successful machine learning companies. That makes, that totally makes sense. It's a very different mindset to go in being revenue first or data first. And in the machine learning world, data first is what gets you compound interest over time. In terms of this data set that you were building, how long did it take you to build up something that you felt confident you could start charging for? You were doing it initially, you know, pro bono almost. And then uh, at a certain point that that must have flipped. Yeah. And I think that is, that came from understanding the customer. And this is where, uh, you know, the most I can really say right now, it, it comes from uh, something you, you said earlier was the customers don't care that it's machine learning. They care about the results. And so we found more less cost-effective ways to get the same results that we wanted to get. And so essentially, instead of, it allowed us to scale a bit faster by allowing us to charge the customers for the same things because we found we found non-machine learning ways to produce the machine learning results. Non-machine learning ways to produce some machine learning results. Could you dive into that a little bit? I am all about doing things that don't scale initially. Yeah, you, got, now, you have to. This is, so I, I, I do have to keep this a bit quiet because we're in the process of getting a patent on it, um, oh. just what we're doing and all that. But so it, it's not. It's in the process of getting filed, so I don't know how much I can say. Um, <laughs> yeah, aspect, well, that, it really just came down to can we understand our customer in such a way that, you know, really understand the value proposition we're providing? And based on understanding that value proposition, what what does the customer actually want from us? And, you know, what is the problem with solving for them? And what is the actual problem? And once we got that down packed, that, okay, machine learning can do it. What else can, what else can we to do that in hopes of this will actually accelerate our data creation, uh, not the, the creation of our data set so that we can actually get machine learning solutions. What's your, the cost to you for an incorrect prediction? Does it, does it have any, you know, the false positives? And, and so for us, we, we do our best to vet all our predictions to make sure that they're good. But for a lot of our customers, the cost of a false positive is very close to zero. This goes back to something I mentioned before. We're not tr- we're not trying to change the customer habits. We're trying, uh, at least our initial get-go was targeting the things that are currently missed. And so, you know, a false positive is saying, hey, you know, something's odd in the data. When we think it's significant, they're like, no, it's not significant. And so for some customers, you know, we have to change the approach based on the customer we're talking to when doing that. And so if we're talking to a long haul trucking fleet, so those are the ones that go across the country, we have to be much more cautious on that because it can take a week, it can take up to a week to get the truck back to their home base to check something out. And you don't necessarily want to do that. But, you know, we're we're working with the bus fleet, a public transportation fleet, and they see the buses every night. And so if we tell them, hey, we think there's something on your truck, it's not on your bus, it's not something you have to do ASAP, but it's, you know, well, it's relatively serious, then checking it out that night is essentially zero cost or very close to zero cost. So a false positive there, given that we're not really changing the operations or doing anything, the cost of that is effectively zero, as long as we're not 
telling them, hey, every vehicle has something wrong, check it every night. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, you know, it, it, it's zero cost as long as it's um, done in moderation. So that is the end of today's episode. If there are two things I want you to take away, it is one, uh, data acquisition, hugely important, obvious. It's been a consistent theme today. And two, this is to Sasha's point on ML being the automation of decision-making. That is, how do you take your ML product and integrate it into a customer system that's already built out? They already have all of their guidelines and standards and best practices. How do you take the decision-making that you're trying to automate and um, position it in a useful way to a customer. So with that, I want to just remind you guys to please email us with feedback or questions. I'd love to answer anything machine learning or data science related, if it's more technical, something like that. If you're potentially looking for people to help you on a project or you're looking for public data sources, anything really, we'd love to answer your questions. Just email us at hello at patternml.com and have a good night. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.